Pico Report is a weekly public affairs program providing independent media coverage of environmental and ecological studies with a focus on local, state, and regional people, issues, and events in order to foster open discussion of human relationships with nature and the earth and to encourage you to take personal responsibility for living sustainably in the world. EcoReport is produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana and financially supported by listeners like you. Hello and welcome to EcoReport. For WFHB, I'm Patrick Callanan. And I'm Sarah Callanan. Today in our feature, Enrique Sands from the Indiana Environmental Reporter talks about requests for exemptions with regard to COVID-19 restrictions. That's coming up later in the program, but first your environmental headlines. Major utilities plan to close five Indiana coal ash ponds at a power plant along Lake Michigan and move coal ash to a landfill has sparked concerns from environmental activists about how the dust kicked up by that project will be controlled. Northern Indiana Public Service Company is seeking a permit from the state to remove more than 170,000 cubic yards of coal ash from its Michigan City station and transfer most of it to a state-approved landfill in its Wheatfield landfill, the Post-Tribune of Northwest Indiana reported. The utilities plan has raised concerns about its health and environment risks, particularly for communities of color, said LaTanya Troutman, Environmental Climate Justice Chair for the Laporte County NAACP. The Indiana of today has far fewer birds as compared to the millions of birds that inhabited the state or passed through it 200 years ago. Cranes roosted in the marshes in the hundreds of thousands as they migrated to and from the Gulf Coast. In the spring, shorebirds flocked to the beaches of Lake Michigan in numbers unimaginable today. This report focuses on birds that are now extinct in Indiana. The Carolina parakeet was a colorful, noisy bird. It was also the northernmost species of parrot on Earth, and it lived in great numbers in Indiana. They lived and roosted in large colonies, nesting in hollow trees, and foraged in the nearby forests and fields for seeds and fruits. Deforestation in the 18th and 19th century played a major role in their extinction. Hunting also played a significant role for decorated use of their colorful flowers in women's hats. The birds became extinct in Indiana around 1920. Passenger pigeon. Similar in appearance to mourning doves, passenger pigeons roosted and foraged in forests, much like other birds, but so numerous were they that the sound of millions of beating wings was like that of a waterfall and as their gargantuan flocks approached, the sun was blotted out. These flocks may have held up to a billion birds and could take hours to pass by. The main reasons for the extinction of the passenger pigeon were the massive scale of hunting, the rapid loss of habitat, and the extremely social lifestyle of the bird. Deforestation was driven by the need to free land for agricultural and expanding towns, but also by the demand for lumber and fuel. The bird was declared extinct in 1914. Greater Prairie Chicken 
sometimes this member of the grouse family in Indiana is called the heath hen. They do appear to be close cousins. The heath hen was abundant when the U.S. was first settled. They ranged from Maine to Virginia. It is even said that when the pilgrims celebrated their first Thanksgiving, the bird served was the heath hen, not turkey. At the time, the bird that occupied Indiana seems to have been the greater prairie chicken. Greater prairie chickens prefer undisturbed prairie and were originally found in tall grass prairies. Their diet consists mainly of seeds and fruit, but during the summer they also eat insects and green plants. These birds were once widespread all across the oak savanna and tall grass prairie ecosystem. The greater prairie chicken in Indiana was extinct by 1932 due to hunting pressure and habitat loss. In Illinois, where there was much more prairie, in the 1800s, the greater prairie chicken numbered in the millions. They were a popular game bird, and like many prairie birds, which have also suffered massive habitat loss, they are now on the verge of extinction, with the wild population at about 200 in Illinois last year. They now only live on small parcels of managed prairie land. Other game birds, such as quail, pheasants, and ruffed grouse, are likely to go extinct in Indiana. There are a few members of these species found wild in the state, but most Hoosiers live their entire lives without seeing any. For the quail and pheasant, the main issue is loss of habitat. There is very little land containing high grasses left in the state. For the ruffed grouse, the issue is climate change. They've moved north. People are spending more time outdoors because of the need for social distancing resulting from the COVID-19 pandemic, and that's placing them at greater risk of contracting tick-borne illnesses, according to a researcher at the IU School of Public Health. Ticks can spread such diseases as Lyme disease and Rocky Mountain spotted fever, so people have to be extra cautious when outside, including in their own backyards. The researcher, Assistant Professor Carol Omodior and his team, who have been studying ticks near people's residences in southern and central Indiana, say that almost 40% of the yards and other properties they've sampled contained at least one tick, and that about half of that 40% contained multiple ticks. Omodior says, quote, When people don't expect ticks are there, that also means they don't take the required actions and that puts them at more risk of tick exposure, end quote. Young ticks, called nymphs, are also active in the spring. They're smaller and harder to see, and thus they make tick-borne illnesses more probable. Amodior says you can prevent ticks from establishing themselves in your yard by not letting your lawn grow taller than three inches and by removing leaves, trimming shrubs, and removing ticks from pets. It also helps to deter such tick hosts as deer, mice, and birds. Omodior recommends wearing light-colored clothing and long pants tucked into your socks when outdoors. Also, use an approved insecticide spray that contains oil of lemon, eucalyptus, or another repellent. When you find a tick on your clothes or body, remove it immediately. The Indiana State Department of Health has suggestions on how to remove a tick from skin safely. Monroe County and two environmental groups filed a lawsuit to stop the implementation of the forest management plan for Hoosier National Forests they believe will pollute Lake Monroe, a major drinking water source for the area. 
Monroe County's Board of Commissioners and Environmental Commission, along with the Hoosier Environmental Council and the Indiana Forest Alliance, filed the suit to stop the U.S. Forest Service's Houston South Vegetation Management and Restoration Project until alternative plans have been considered. The plan calls for the harvest of thousands of acres of trees and herbicide treatment in a part of the Hoosier National Forest located in the northwest corner of Jackson County near Houston, Indiana. In the lawsuit filed in U.S. District Court in New Albany, county officials and groups said many of the activities called for in the plan will take place on, quote, steep slopes with highly erodible soils, end quote that would pollute streams that flow into Lake Monroe, the water source for more than 145,000 people. The Monroe County officials said they repeatedly raised the issue in comments and objections and requested alternatives that would better protect the environment. But the Forest Service denied the plan would adversely affect the environment and Monroe County residents. Quote, after nearly 18 months of commenting, asking for key reports, and objecting to this project and the U.S. Forest Service's dismissal of all important concerns, Monroe County and the plaintiffs were left with no other resource than to file the suit, end quote, said Monroe County District 2 Commissioner Julie Thomas in a press release. New York City is celebrating what the environmental advocacy organization 350.org calls a huge victory. The New York State Department of Environmental Conservation has permanently canceled plans for the Williams Fracked Gas Pipeline in New York City. Not only did the department deny a key permit, but the Williams Company can't apply again. The project is dead after years in the making. The Williams Pipeline was to be 23 miles long, from Pennsylvania to New York City, transporting fracked gas into the city. Last spring, the Trump administration issued an executive order attempting to speed up the pipeline's approval. New York denied the permit for the pipeline in May 2019, but Williams immediately reapplied. The demise of the pipeline is a triumph of massive grassroots action. The Stop the Williams Coalition organized tens of thousands of comments, emails, phone calls, and letters to lawmakers at all levels of government. Opponents pressured them to take a stand against the pipeline, which would have caused climate pollution and threatened waterways along its route. Hundreds of thousands of people rallied and protested from the massive climate strike in New York City last September to smaller protests at public hearings and the offices of elected officials, including Governor Cuomo. The city of Houston has committed to 100% renewable energy. Mayor Sylvester Turner announced that the city has teamed up with NRG Energy to power all municipal operations with renewable energy beginning in July. Through the partnership, the city of Houston will receive renewable electricity from a utility-scale solar facility this year. The contract with NRG is set to last seven years and is projected to save the city a total of $65 million during the transition. The transition to renewable energy is part of Houston's recently released Climate Action Plan. Mayor Turner, along with the city's Office of Sustainability, released the Houston Climate Action Plan in honor of the 50th anniversary of Earth Day. Houston is no stranger to the impacts of climate change. 
In 2017, Hurricane Harvey pummeled Houston. The Category 4 hurricane caused widespread devastation and $125 billion in damage. According to Houston's Office of Sustainability, the Climate Action Plan is a key element of the Hurricane Harvey recovery effort. The city of Houston aims to reduce emissions and reach carbon neutrality by 2050. Quote, Houstonians have experienced the effects of climate change. Hurricane Harvey was larger, slower, and had 40% more rain than it would have if it had occurred 100 years ago. In Houston, spring arrives three weeks earlier than it did even a generation ago, and our already hot summers keep getting hotter, end quote, stated Turner. The U.S. Forest Service appears to be deliberately stymieing the public's input into a logging project in southeast Alaska in order to push the project forward despite local community opposition to it. The Forest Service is hurrying ahead with plans to lift logging restrictions in the Tongass National Forest, which surrounds the Native Alaskan organized village of Cake. Because of the COVID-19 pandemic, the Forest Service insists that hearings on the project be held virtually, but not all the residents of Cake have access to the internet, and internet connections are unreliable there. Joel Jackson, president of Cake, says his time has been consumed with hours of teleconference calls since the beginning of the pandemic. Although he has to conduct official business of his tribal government, he occasionally experiences internet slowdowns that make it impossible to log on. The Forest Service wants to lift Tongass logging restrictions by getting rid of the 2001 roadless rule that currently prohibits logging and road building there. Consultations between the U.S. and tribal governments are required when U.S. government actions affect tribal concerns. Eliminating the roadless rule would open up the old-growth forest to clear-cutting and thus directly affect the people in Cake and other communities where hunting, fishing, and wild food gathering are integral to their way of life. According to the public interest law firm Earth Justice, the Forest Service, quote, has given no indication that it will slow down with plans to hand over public lands to extractive industry, even if it means silencing the voices of indigenous communities in the process, end quote. In a major victory for rural landowners, farmers, and conservationists, a federal judge has ruled that the Federal Bureau of Land Management failed to take into account risks to local groundwater and the climate for approving the sale of 287 oil and gas leases in Montana. The leases were to cover over 145,000 acres of public land. The court's ruling reverses the Bureau's approval of the leases. The Bureau's lease sale would have greased the wheels of the destructive fracking boom. Rural landowners and conservation groups, including Wild Earth Guardians and Montana Environmental Information Center collaborated to fight the lease sale because of the Bureau's failure to look seriously at the effects of fracking on Montana's water quality and quantity and on the climate. Two public interest law firms, Earth Justice and Western Environmental Law Center, represented opponents of the project in federal district court. Kyle Tisdale, an attorney with the Western Environmental Law Center, observed of the win, quote, 
the Trump administration's lust for energy dominance at the expense of people and the environment has, fortunately, hit another brick wall. This is a major win for our climate while protecting almost 150,000 acres of public land from industry exploitation, end quote. Despite the fact that pipeline owner TC Energy hasn't received all of its permits, the first pipes of the highly contested Keystone XL tar sands oil pipeline have been installed underground. It was only last month that the Indigenous Environmental Network and its allies, including the Sierra Club, Bold Alliance, and Northern Plains Resource Council, celebrated an important victory in their federal lawsuit against the pipeline. The federal judge not only ruled that the Army Corps of Engineers violated the Clean Water Act, but that the Corps hadn't adequately considered the effects of the pipeline on endangered species, specifically the pallid sturgeon and a rare beetle. The judge then revoked the Corps' nationwide permit number 12. Because of the ruling, the Keystone XL can't cross the Missouri, Cheyenne, and Yellowstone rivers or over 700 other water crossings along the pipeline's proposed route. The ruling also puts into question other fossil fuel projects nationwide that require permit number 12. The Rosebud Sioux Tribe, Fort Belknap Tribe, and the Indigenous Environmental Network have ongoing lawsuits against the federal government about the approval of the pipeline, arguing that the international border crossing approval was illegal, that it violated treaty rights, and that construction during the COVID-19 pandemic not only places communities at risk of the disease, but also raises the well-known risk of sexual violence that pipeline construction workers perpetrate on Native women. A court hearing on the lawsuits took place in April, but no ruling has come down yet. Despite the legal challenges, pipe has been laid at the international border crossing between the U.S. and Canada, even though the current drop in tar sands and oil prices makes tar sands non-viable. Knowing that TC Energy was losing investment capital, the Canadian province of Alberta invested $1.5 billion in the project in an effort to shore up tar sands jobs and the unnecessary Keystone XL pipeline. Joe Biden would rescind President Donald Trump's permit allowing the Keystone XL oil pipeline to cross the border into the U.S., a move that would effectively kill the controversial project, his campaign told Politico on May 18th. The statement is the first from Biden's campaign about how the presumptive Democratic nominee would handle the project that has been stalled for over a decade if he wins the White House in November. While some are trying to clean up the plastic pollution in the oceans and others are removing it from beaches, one company is looking to end the need for plastic bottles that last hundreds of years and are rarely recycled. A Dutch company is planning to fight the plastic crisis with a plant-based alternative that degrades in one year. Avantium, a biochemical company in the Netherlands, is fundraising for a new project that will turn sustainably grown crops into a plant-based plastic. The technology has gained the attention of beer maker Carlsberg, beverage giant Coca-Cola, and Danone. All three companies have signaled that they plan to use Avantium's technology in the future. Carlsberg, for example, hopes to sell its Pilsner in a cardboard bottle with an inner layer of plant plastic. The move towards a plant-based plastic from a sustainable source would mark a major step forward for Coca-Cola, which is consistently ranked as the world's worst plastic polluter. 
The hope is to have the product on store shelves by 2023. And now for our feature, we will hear Enrique Sands from the Indiana Environmental Reporter talk about requests for exemptions from COVID-19 restrictions. 24-hour news channels are giving more and more attention to protesters trying to end the government restrictions keeping the COVID-19 virus at bay. Those restrictions have undoubtedly caused businesses to suffer financially, but some restrictions have also given some businesses a lot of slack when it comes to following environmental regulations. From retrofitting to produce hand sanitizer to delaying an environmental investigation affecting thousands, Indiana Industries have asked the state's environmental agency for permission to skirt some legal requirements. The state of Indiana's environmental agency has shared documents that show which regulated entities have asked the state to adjust their enforcement of certain regulations as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. The documents give insight into the inner workings of the Indiana Department of Environmental Management and how strict environmental regulations ensure the efforts to keep Hoosiers safe from pollution continue even under a national public health emergency. The U.S. Environmental Protection Agency first adopted an enforcement discretion policy due to the pandemic that allowed civil violations of environmental monitoring requirements. IDEM adopted an enforcement discretion policy soon after Governor Eric Holcomb issued a stay-at-home order March 23rd. The order directed Hoosiers to stay at home and forced non-essential businesses and operations to close, but allowed businesses deemed essential to continue operating. Industries and municipalities said the order, along with the disease it was created to prevent, made it difficult for them to follow certain federal and state environmental law monitoring requirements. IDEM said it would work with any source taking reasonable measures to protect human health and the environment, and would consider allowing non-compliance of some regulations or delay enforcement if those entities contacted IDEM, described how the COVID-19 outbreak contributed to non-compliance, described the amount of time the entity would be non-compliant, and the exact rule or permit provision that would require IDEM's discretion. The publicly available documents compiled by IDEM show five municipalities and 21 companies reported potential non-compliance and sought extensions or suspensions of monitoring date requirements. The City of Elkhart's Public Works and Utilities Department was first to inform state and federal authorities that it would not be able to comply with regulations in a timely fashion due to forces beyond its control. Evansville Water and Sewer Utility announced its reporting troubles a week later. Mooresville asked IDEM for a 90-day extension on a deadline for the city's annual pretreatment report due to health difficulties faced by the town's water treatment plant superintendent. Bristol asked for a 60-day extension on certain monitoring reports due to similar health concerns with the utility's office manager. Centerville's wastewater treatment plant asked for a 60- to 90-day extension on a construction permit application for a phosphorus project, but was denied a formal extension. IDEM explained it would work with the city to allow the project to continue. The agency said that a formal extension could not be granted, but the agency would give them extra time to complete their project by enforcement discretion. IDEM has also had to deny extensions and delays to protect human health. An environmental consulting firm hired by the city of Elkhart to investigate a toxic plume of dry cleaning chemicals at the former executive cleaner site along the St. Joseph River told IDEM it would suspend vapor intrusion investigations in structures and homes near the site. Crossroads Environmental Consulting's principal geologist Mike Cooper wrote to IDEM saying, quote, I do not want to risk entering 24 different structures given the current situation. I'm sure the occupants of the structures do not want us in their homes or businesses knowing that we would be going in and out of so many structures. We'll reevaluate once the stay-at-home and social distancing orders evolve, 
IDEM advised the company to continue its investigation to find the extent of the contamination. The agency sent out letters to homeowners that warned them they would be responsible for contamination and cleanup on their own property if they declined to be a part of the executive cleaner's investigation. Marathon Petroleum Company, the owner of Speedway convenience stores, asked for temporary relief from certain provisions of statutes, rules, orders, and permits for at least 17 sites across the state. Marathon wanted to delay until July 1st requirements to monitor and repair fugitive leaks, remediate soil and groundwater contamination, sample water and hazardous waste, and many other monitoring requirements. IDEM seemingly denied Marathon's request as the company submitted air and water quality reports after the March 26th receipt of the request. Some agency-approved delays in enforcement could allow polluters to avoid cleanup duties. IDEM approved the extension of a cleanup deadline at the Alternative 2 LLC Waste Tire Storage Site in South Bend. The facility is registered to hold the equivalent of 12,500 passenger tires, but IDEM inspectors found the company had exceeded that number by hundreds of thousands of tires. IDEM agreed to extend the cleanup deadline by a month. The agency also agreed to extend the deadline for the Clark Floyd landfill to respond to questions about how the facility plans to deal with issues like wastewater disposal and stockpiling waste after having violated some regulations. A majority of requests were denied by IDEM, but the agency promised leniency in enforcement. FCA US LLC, which owns the Kokomo casting plant, asked for an extension for compliance testing for its reverberatory furnace. IDEM denied the request but offered an alternative. The agency said there would be no enforcement action if the company notified IDEM within 10 days of resuming operation of the furnace and performed compliance testing within 120 days after that. It's unclear how long IDEM will continue its enforcement discretion policy, but it may be tied to the end of the governor's stay-at-home order. The governor may decide to extend the order, which he has done once before. The number of COVID-19 cases continues to rise. Marion County, home to Indianapolis and headquarters to most Indiana state agencies, has suffered the most deaths from the disease and the most positive cases. For Eco Report, I'm Sarah Callanan. And I'm Patrick Callanan. Support for Eco Report comes from Blooming Foods Market and Deli, Bloomington's locally grown co op grocery since 1976 offering products with a focus on local, fair trade, natural, and organic, with support for farmers, producers, agencies, and artisans. Blooming Foods Market in Delhi on East 3rd Street near College Mall, West 6th Street near the Courthouse Square, and Shreve Hall on the Ivy Tech campus. Are you looking for a way to make a difference on environmental issues? Here at Eco Report, we are currently looking for reporters and segment producers. Our goal is to report facts on how we're all affected by global climate disruption and the ongoing assaults on our air, land, and water. We also celebrate ecologists, tree huggers, soil builders, and an assortment of champions who actively protect and restore our natural world, particularly those who are active in South Central Indiana. All levels of experience and all ages are welcome, and we provide the training you'll need. WFHB also offers internships. To volunteer for Eco Report, give us a call at 812-323-1200 or email us at earth at wfhb.org.
And that wraps up our show for this week. The Eco Report is brought to you in part by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. Found locally at 812-334-4003 and on the web at mpisolarenergy.com. This week's headlines were written by Norm Holy and Linda Green. Today's feature was produced by IER reporter Enrique Sands. David Lyman wrote the script, and Linda Green and Patrick Callanan edited it. Juliana Daly compiled the events. Patrick Callanan produced and engineered today's show. For WFHB, I'm Patrick Callanan. And I'm Sarah Callanan. And this is Eco Report.